0: Welcome to episode 490, where I sat down with screenwriter Kelly Younger. Kelly talks about working for the Disney Pixar Story Trust, where he provided content and feedback for movies like Moana, Cars 3, Coco, Incredibles 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Toy Story 4, and many more. Currently, as a screenwriter, he's got credits on Muppets Now, Muppets Haunted Mansion, and the new Eddie Murphy film Candy Cane Lane. This story follows a man who is determined to win the neighborhood's annual Christmas decorating contest until he makes a pact with an elf who casts a spell on him, which brings the 12 Days of Christmas to life and wreaks havoc on the town. In this interview, we talk about how voice leads to truth, the Disney formula the Disney formula of adapting fairy tales, crafting the Muppets in an original way, riding Candy Cane Lane, and putting a sense of wonder in every scene. You can also find this interview on the creative screenwriting website.
1: Well, the, the origin story, uh, feels pretty far away from where I am now. Um, I actually, I, I started out in archeology. Um, uh, truth be told, I wanted to be a goonie, uh, when I was a kid. Um, My parents, uh, you know, I'm I'm from a a real working class, blue collar, Irish Catholic family, um, Southern California, and my parents went through a pretty hard financial time. And when I was a kid, we actually lost, lost our house. And it was around this time that, you know, this movie Goonies comes out where the kids, you know, they're all about to lose their homes, but they find a treasure map and they go on this adventure and they fight criminals and... There's pirate ships and water slides, um, but ultimately they find the you know the treasure that's going to save save the family home. So that movie really hit me at a at a pretty important moment, and so I, I really wanted to be a goonie. And then and then when Indiana Jones came out, I was like, you know, and you get to fight Nazis. Like this is this is the greatest career ever, right? I want to be an archaeologist. And so um, that was always my my um, interest and fascination was in kind of lost civilizations and treasures and, um, you know, the kind of magic that is sometimes uh, surrounded with those kinds of stories. Um, I was always also a bit of a theater kid in middle school and high school. Um, so, you know, I, th- those were all of my friends and... Um, When it came time for school, I actually studied English literature and classics. I did Greek and Latin. I was, you know, I I moved to Chicago and I was doing graduate school um, in classics. And uh, it started to lean more towards, um, if you can believe this, I, I had a moment where I thought I might go for a degree in Egyptology, but I think it was because I really liked the movie Stargate. And I was realizing I'm I might be making career choices based on on movies that I love, and so maybe there's something there. Um, and ultimately, I ended up moving to Ireland and living in Dublin for several years and studying literature, drama, um, folk tales, fairy tales, um, and then my background in, in mythology as well. So I I at first started out. Um, as kind of a student of all of storytelling really. Um, But then, you know, my my theater background kicked in and I I started writing plays um, mostly because I was broke. I was actually living in Ireland and there was a contest for a play and it paid a thousand pounds, which, you know, that was well over a month's rent for me at the time. And I wrote a play quickly and submitted it, and it was selected and produced. And then it got me involved in the Dublin Theatre Festival. And so for many years, I, I pursued and, and had a career as a playwright. Um, but then my background in, in fairy tales, storytelling, as well as dramatic writing you know, led me to writing, writing for the screen. Um, and ultimately, you know, kind of got my foot in the door of Disney animation, which then opened a lot of doors after that.
0: Was there a point, so going kind of back to your childhood for a moment, um, a lot of these things are riskier as opposed to taking more of a traditional job. Any, any advice for those who are looking for that persistence you need to make this a career?
1: Well, I think that's always, you know, that's always the question of, you know, like, how did you, how did you do it? And, you know, the, the go-to is there is no one way, obviously. I think we all know that, that there is no one way. Um, I think that for me, and and hopefully this could work as some advice for aspiring writers or or current writers who are, you know, continuing to hustle like, like I do too, um, I just find that if you focus on what is the what is the true story that you want to tell, what is the story that you really have to get out there into the world, and it doesn't have to be true in the sense of um, autobiographical or anything, but true in the sense of you know what is what what is the world that you experience, or the world the way that you see it, or the world the way that you think that you know it. Um, that's all I think it means when someone talks about a writer's voice. Um, I think voice is just, it's somebody courageous enough to tell their own truth. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know that, you know, in addition to the contests and the festivals and submitting work and networking and and all of the stuff that you still have to do, I think the, the endurance part comes from trying your best to consistently write something that is meaningful and, and personal to you because I, I think that's the best way for others to find find your work and to really connect with it.
0: Hmm. Is there something you maybe do differently because of your different studies like when, if you're gonna if you get a job to write something or you're coming up with a spec script, Do you have a theme in mind a plot and then you maybe go back to researching some of the fairy tales you know so well or anything like that about the way you kind of come up with story
1: well i i'm a big i'm a big uh proponent of research um i i really learned this in in my time with the story trust and the brain trust at at disney animation and pixar it's just research 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 and there is that old cliche of write what you know which is true But I also feel like write what you want to know, write about the things that you are curious about or that you want to know about. So I'm a big believer in in research. And um, yes, sometimes I will go back and um, try to find some structural um, advice from fairy tales. Uh, When I was working on uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, I said to Rich, Rich Moore uh, and Phil Johnson, the directors, we were, we were just stuck on a story point. And I said, well, you know, this is, it's Hansel and Gretel. Ralph and Vanellope are really Hansel and Gretel getting lost in the woods. But for Ralph and Vanellope, it's the internet. They're going to get lost in the internet. And so little, little things. Um, sometimes it's helpful to remind yourself when you're really in the weeds, it's, you're, you know, it's really complicated and, you're overwriting and you're overthinking and you just can't, you can't see a way out where I feel it's really helpful to turn to fairy tales in particular is that they're so simple. Mm. They're just so simple and they're so short and they're so universal. They cut right to the core of the character and what they want. And so um, I do, when I, whenever I get a bit stuck, I, I go and I, I try and, watch movies for inspiration, you know, read plays, read short stories, read fairy tales. I just, I try to remind myself that, you know, I'm not the first one to do this. I'm not the first one to, to, you know, get stuck like this. So there's, there's gotta be a way out of the woods here.
0: Is there something Disney does differently with those stories? Because a lot of the true fairy tales are pretty harsh. A lot of them have all kinds of rough endings and everything else. Is there like a Disney-fied version that you kind of leaned into?
1: Well, I mean, you're 100% right. So one of the interesting things about uh, my time there is um, there is this long tradition of sort of sanitizing fairy tales and these childhood stories, because you're right, the original fairy tales are, are grim, like literally grim. That's where, you know, how we get, that's where we get that word from the brothers grim and they're violent and gory and terrifying and children get eaten. And, you know, like these really delicious, awful things happen. Um, So there's been a lot of controversy in the field when we look at movies or you know YA books or even children's books versions of these tales that kind of clean them up or sanitize them because there is this adult fear that children will be too scared from these things right that like we're going to give kids nightmares but the the truth is in my opinion um these fairy tales help children they help adults too they help kids deal with anxieties, fears, doubts, um, aggressions, like they, they help kids really deal with a lot of these complex emotions that they're experiencing or, or, or learning how to deal with, um, in an, in an adolescent way and ultimately an adult way. Um, and you know, the, the original ending of the three little pigs, which is one of my most favorite little tales, uh, in the Disney version, the wolf runs away. Right. In the original, the pig, the, the surviving pig cooks the wolf and eats the wolf. Right. But that wolf was also the one who ate his other two siblings. So it's kind of like this also mm. eating wolf and eating the other two little pigs to kind of become whole again. Mm. Um, and it's really violent and gruesome. But if you think about it, what what's more frightening for a child that the wolf gets chopped up and eaten or that the wolf is still out there? Mm. and can come back right so it is interesting to me when I see either fairy tale movies or children's books or things that they try to they're trying to protect kids from those darker sides those darker elements but I think we all have darker sides and we all need to learn to learn how to how to deal with them so it's it's um I find it to be a really fascinating uh tension there
0: are there other aspects from fairy tales that go into your work? So, I'm reading, a, I was reading a book called Made to Stick, and they talk about the reason why Aesop's fables are around for 10,000 years or so is because they're so visual and they're so descriptive and so easy to remember and pass along. Are there things like that that you think about or incorporate into your current stories?
1: That's great. I mean, in terms of Aesop, yes. I mean, nobody could write a thematic statement better than Aesop, right? He just comes out and is like, this is what this is all about. And one thing that I try to do before I even, you know, begin to write is, I just really need to know what this story is about. Mm -hmm. I don't need to know the solution. I don't need to know how my hero is going to overcome every obstacle. there's a lot of things that I, I want to discover along the way, but I do need to know from the beginning, what am I trying to say? What, what is, what is the true statement that I'm trying to share with somebody to share with an audience? Because in every scene, I want that to be, um, a part of it in, in a subtle way. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the thing that I'm working towards my hero learning. It's probably the thing I'm I'm trying to learn myself and trying to figure out. So um, I think that the reason those kinds of stories survive for so many generations is because um, they can be really culturally specific. They can be really historically specific, and we might feel like we, we don't have a connection to a land so far away from our own or a time so long ago but i think where we feel the connection is when there's a really simple universal truth that we still feel um simply because we're because we're human
0: is there an example from your own work that comes to mind like maybe when you started working on some of the the muppet shows and movies anything there that like a personal story and how you kind of weave that in
1: yeah. So, um, you know, first of all, that it, it is a funny experience thing really, about how are you weaving your own personal stories into uh, a group like the Muppets? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, truth be told, when I first met with Muppet studios, I showed them a photograph of me in the first grade in a talent show where I came out with a briefcase and a stuffed puppet of animal, which that's, act, that is the animal. And, um, I lip synced with him to mana, right? I mean, like literally that was about the extent of my talent as a six year old. So I already had what felt like a very personal connection to the Muppets. Um, I also feel like watching the Muppet show as a really young kid made me fall in love with the theater. I loved all of the backstage antics, um, but I I feel like my, my real personal connection to the muppets is that they're all weird, they're all crazy, they um they're they're not all really talented. <laughs> but man, they work really hard and they just want to put on a good show and they've got each other's backs and they'll screw up a lot, but they they love each other and the show must go on. So um when I when I started writing for them I immediately felt um, connected to them for those reasons. Um, but then, in terms of the stories that we were working on, I, w- I would always try to bring in something personal, something that I had experienced or had gone through with my family. Um, and in, you know, in Muppets Haunted Mansion, um, it's really about, you know, Gonzo needing to remember how important his friendships are. And as you get older, you, you know, it's easy to let those friendships slip away. It's easier to not, you know, you don't call that person as often as you should, or you do text more than you actually pick up the phone or try to meet for a coffee. Um, and so in a sense, none of that really made it into the story, but that's where I was writing from was the sense of, you know, God, it, it, it's amazing how quickly you can let friendships slide. if you're not not tending to them.
0: That sounds so different from someone who's kind of chasing the market. Like when I talk to writers and they're chasing a personal story, maybe even hidden within IP to some degree, it's more like a therapeutic session as opposed to something that doesn't matter. It seems like there's a lot more value in that.
1: I I think so. And I I will also be honest with you. I I had to learn that lesson. Mm. Um, When I, when I first know when i first got representation and i was first trying to figure out you know what what am i going to do i chased the market and i you know everybody oh my god zombies are the it thing right now i have to write something with zombies or um you know there's horror is really hot right now we're going to send you out on on horror scripts and or you know we're doing you know we're going to send you out on this thriller and stuff and i I would try, but then I had to have a moment. Where, like I don't, I don't like horror movies. Like, I, I don't, I don't watch them. I find them too scary. They like, they give me nightmares, and I, I, I really have trouble watching them. So how on earth could I ever write a good one? You know, um, and so I, I know that writers, I think, sometimes have a fear of being pigeonholed, right? And but I, I feel like. It's okay to pick a lane because you can always change lanes, right? If you're, especially, you know, if you drive in Southern California, like we're constantly changing lanes. But for me, once I had a moment of my lane is family, I, I, I love watching movies with my family. I love movies about family based on some of what I told you, um, most of what I write or most of what I'm drawn to has some sense of home involved Has some quality of trying to save a home or restore a home or bring everybody back home. Um, I just, I can't, I can't escape that. And so I definitely am in in that PG lane and, and I love it here. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to, be here for the rest of my life it doesn't mean that i can't you know change lanes into something that's that's adjacent and nearby and learn and grow and and write in that in that genre um but i feel like rather than trying to chase the market and you write the zombie script and then every executive is reading nothing but zombie scripts they nobody wants to make a zombie thing anymore um but when the appetite comes back and it, it will sometimes you just got to wait when it comes back to your lane, then there you are and you're ready and you've got your scripts and you've got your pitches and you're get your general set up um, to go out and pitch on things. So I, I think it's it's um, it takes a lot of patience and a lot of, you know, confidence is not the right word, but. Uh, hope I guess, I guess hope that if you just keep going, that eventually the market will, will, will come to you.
0: Yeah. We've said a lot already. So we're in family, family, f- friendly movies about home and friendship. Where did you initially, did you have the idea for candy cane lane? Did you get involved with something else? How did this all come together?
1: Well, so even though there are, so many fantastical creatures and magic and all these kinds of things in this movie, it, it actually is based on a true story. It's based on a personal story. Um, my uh, there is a real town called El Segundo, California. It's here in the South Bay. Um, it's a quirky, wonderful little beach town, but it's nestled between LAX and the Chevron refinery and the water treatment plant. Um, and so it it is this kind of odd little beach town, but my parents moved there many, many, many years ago and they moved, um, to a part of the neighborhood where every year the end of the cul-de-sac goes all out for Christmas and they dubbed it candy Cane lane since like the 1940s. Um, and my parents' house is at the street at the very top of that same street. And my dad, who is a he's a truck driver by trade. Um, my parents didn't go to college, um, always sort of working blue collar jobs. And he uh, but he should have been an artist. He mm-hmm. he was a woodworker. He was constantly making things when I was a kid. In fact, I, we can see. But like these these chess pieces mm-hmm. behind me and stuff, he he had carves all, all these kinds of things. Um, So when he found out this neighborhood goes all out for Christmas, he wanted in on the action and he went way over the top, built tons of things, put them all in the front yard. And the controversy that first year was his house got featured in the local paper, but he was sort of like a block up from the official lane. So there was a little, there was some tension to say the least. And that's when I thought, oh, how funny this, this, um, this block that goes all out for the holidays might be a little more like Game of Thrones under there. Like there's like, I learned about these rivalries and there's politics involved and when do we open and who's cleaning up and who's going to play Santa this year and all this kind of stuff. So um, over the years, we would always go to candy King lane. Our children have been going there since they've been in strollers. We've gotten to know people on the lane. But my dad every year would do a different theme. And so the neighbors going down the street would always ask for his hand-me-downs. So over the years, my dad's work would go down the lane. And now the Cane Lane is much bigger, much longer. More neighbors are involved. And it kind of all leads up up the hill right into my dad's dad's driveway. So I, I always wanted to write a Christmas movie and... I knew that if, and when I did, it would be set, um, it would be set in, in in candy cane lane in El Segundo.
0: Where does some of the magic come from? So, I mean, you study fairy tales. Is that just kind of your natural inclination? Do you try to write a basic story outline first and then see where that weaves in or tell me a little more about the process?
1: I do think I try to always start in a way that's the most grounded. Um, I do try to start simply with who's, who's our hero? What's their problem? What do they want? What's going to happen if they don't get it? Why is this happening right now? Um, What, what is the reality for, for this particular character? So I always try to start very grounded. Um, But then you're absolutely right. I, I then want a bit of magic i do want something heightened i want um a little bit of the supernatural or the charmed um and i i think i try to do that a lot you know i'm i i do try to you know for myself i always think keep them wondering and i don't mean keep audiences guessing i mean try to instill a sense of wonder in every scene, um, highlight the charm and the magic and the joy, Mm. make something wonderful. You know, that's, that's what I always try to do. And so once I have the grounded version, then I want to add magic, but I want the magic to come from within. I don't want it to feel like it's being placed on top of it. Mm. I want the magic to come from something that's flawed or broken or needs fixing within the character Mm. um, so that the magic doesn't feel artificial, that it doesn't feel, you know, tacked on. I want it to feel like it's coming from the problem. Um, Because whenever, I don't know about you, but whenever I have a problem, I wish I had a magic wand to just wave it and make it go away. Um, But we always know that's never, that that solution never works out.
0: (laughs) For something like this, do you look to other uh, Christmas movies or stories to kind of create some rules or do you make your own rules as you go along in terms of magic and some of those things?
1: Well, I did a lot of both. Um, obviously, you know, I, I love Christmas movies. It's our favorite family pastime is to watch Christmas movies as a family. So I like everybody, I feel like I've watched a ton of Christmas movies. But I also then... Knowing that I wanted to write one, I, I really studied the genre. And I feel like that's the best thing that that writers can do is and not to copy, not to emulate, but just to really understand how the genre works. What are the what are the elements that make it a Christmas movie? Mm-hmm. And I, I I felt like I was starting to recognize kind of two types of Christmas movies. One is the, you know, cookie cutter, young urban professional moves from the big city back to their small town to hit the reset button, to reconnect with what matters. And there's often, you know, a handsome lumberjack involved or something, or there's, there's, there's a bakery. There's, I mean, you you know what I'm talking about. Right. And there's a lot of those and they're great. They're great. I think. I love having movies like that on when we're wrapping presents and cooking and doing that kind of stuff. Right. Um, Or it's the millionth iteration of Dickens, a Christmas Carol, right? We kind of keep telling and retelling versions of that story. So what, what I knew is I really wanted to try and do something different from those two. I, I really wanted to do something original. Um, I, I tried to do something where I, I had to make up the mythology. I had to make up the rules and, you know, that that's complicated and tricky and, you know, it's much easier to rely on a template or a cookie cutter. Um, but I, I knew that I wanted to do something original. I wanted to do something personal and I also wanted to set it someplace unusual. Um, you know, most Christmas movies take place where it snows and I didn't grow up with snow. I grew up with sand, you know, near the beach. And when I was a kid, we would take our boogie boards and at Christmas we would go to the beach and we'd go down the sand dunes pretending that we were on sleds. Um, so I knew that I wanted to, to tell a Christmas story in, in a real place that had a, I had a real connection with, but I wanted to do it in kind of a really unusual way in an unusual place uh as well.
0: I think we're almost out of time. Just um one or two more. Um any any other advice for those writers trying to break in today that want to write family stories? Anything about getting noticed or getting their scripts read or or made?
1: Well, the for those writers who are interested in writing about their own families, I, I do think sometimes doubt sets in that anybody outside of your family would be interested in your family, right? We all have those family stories, the family lore, the legends, the dysfunctions, the characters, right? But sometimes we feel like, yeah, but would anybody really think this is interesting? Because to me, it's just my family. Um, Or I think sometimes fear sets in of like, I I can't air my dirty laundry or I you know my family would kill me if I told this story or based some characters on them. Um I think if you are interested in writing about your family the the number one thing to do is to just try to muster the courage to do so and to do so in an honest way. Um that I think is the biggest uh is the biggest hurdle. Um yeah i think i think that's it i think it has to do with courage
0: thanks so much for tuning into the show before you take off i want to give you a free gift i'm giving you my first book ink by the barrel for free that's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com inside this book you will learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing elizabeth gilbert's playful trickster mentality you can learn to weaponize your anxiety with kevin kelly's different is better approach and learn how to defend your time with ryan holiday's calendar anorexia mindset there's just a few other ideas in the book ink by the barrel it's also based on over 400 interviews i've done right here on creative principles so go steal that book right now ink by the barrel to learn how to be a prolific writer you can get your copy, that's digital download and audiobook, at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never missed an episode.